I'm Matthew Buckley-Smith, and you're listening to Slee Rickets. Thank you all for listening, and thank you especially to those of you who've uh, told other people about the show, who've uh, passed the word along on Twitter, in person, in an email, in a class, or wherever. It does make a difference, and uh, I'm grateful. Today I am talking with Alexis Sears, the author of the Donald Justice Prize winning collection Out of Order, brand new from Autumn House Press, which was, uh, they were kind enough to send me a copy. It's a terrific book, and she is a highly entertaining human being. We have, I think, a really fun conversation. Uh, it, it ends up, we end up digressing into a few different areas, including the basic uh, sh- uh, shamelessness required to be a poet and just what makes poetry readings so awful and how they might be better and whether or not poetry workshops are any good and uh, and mostly about this sort of strange documentary that came out about 10 years or so ago called Louder Than a Bomb about Chicago high school students competing in a slam poetry competition. It's a it's an odd one, but uh, we had a lot of fun talking about it. And before I get to that, I just want to offer a couple of quick clarifications. We talk. Uh, we both went to Johns Hopkins at a couple at, at different times, but we we ended up knowing some people in common there. Uh, and in some cases, I, we just refer to to them by a, a single name. So specifically, the the two who might be mo- we, the two we talked about the most, and who might be most confusing if you don't know who they are, are Greg, who is Greg Williamson, a terrific poet and teacher, and Richie Hoffman, uh, also uh, a also a, a, an excellent poet. And uh, I actually would love to get both of them on the show at some point. Also. <laughs> A, another correction I need to make. I mentioned at one point the Anthony Hecht Award, which is an annual book prize uh, given out by Wayweiser Press. Uh, the The first Anthony Hecht Prize was, or Anthony Hecht Award, I'm not sure what the, which it is. Let me see. Fuck, man. What is this called? Anthony, okay, yeah, the Anthony Hecht Poetry Prize. That's what they call it. All right, so uh, the first Anthony Hecht Poetry Prize some 15 or so years ago was won by Maury Creech for his collection Field Knowledge, which is a great book. I mistakenly uh, said that the first winner was Erica Dawson for her book, Big Eyed Afraid. She did win the Anthony Hecht Poetry Prize, but she won it the second year. Uh, I am actually planning on having Maury on the show sometime uh, before too long. We still need to figure out exactly what we're going to talk about. And I have an invitation out to Erica Dawson. So if you happen to know her, please give her a nudge and tell her to come on the show. Uh, with any luck, I will be getting uh, getting all these people on soon enough to talk about something uh, as silly and fun to listen to as uh, what I've got for you today, which is Alexis Sears, author of Out of Order. Let's get to that conversation right now. I got my author copies um, and it's crazy. It's so weird to like actually have written a book and see it in your hands. Right. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it is. It is a wild experience. I was having these nightmares that, you know, people would hate it, but too late now. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, you've, you've got, you've got a real honest God uh, book under your belt. Um, 
And are you doing much in the way of, are you, are you doing readings? Are you uh, doing, are you doing endless Zoom readings? Are you, what's the, yeah, the story? I've done a lot of Zoom readings and then I'm doing a few readings at AWP. You better be coming to AWP. Are you coming? Oh shit. No, my wife is coming though. Um, oh, your wife won the justice, right? She won the justice. Okay. Um, the, basically the same year I won the Able Muse. And then she, oh, she okay. now does, um. Uh, only fiction now. So she's got a book of story. She's going to be selling it at, at, at AWP. But yeah, I, I will let her know that you're going to be there. So you, you've got some readings lined up there. Yeah. And I'm doing a reading um, at Hopkins on April 5th. I know. Yeah. Oh my God. So are you. Yeah. We're, we're going to be there. Yes, yeah. We're going to be there together. It's going to be awesome. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, I got a note from Yezzy saying, I think he's going to be introducing you. So. Oh, that's so uh, exciting. Yeah. 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 I love he's, Hopkins people. Yeah. So, and you were an undergrad there, is that right? And yeah. and who did you, I'm curious, who did you study with? You had Greg? Greg is an icon. So yes, yeah. Greg twice. And then Mary Jo, James and Richie and Andrew Motion, like for, um, just for one semester. Okay. So Richie, uh, was that when he was a grad student? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so was he like your first IFP mm -hmm. class? Oh yeah, he's the reason I'm a poet. I just oh. wanted to think I was cool, so it's like, yeah, I'll do it. What, it. So I'm I'm curious about that because Richie's such a sweet guy. Um, what you you're, he's the reason you're a poet, which means you didn't really start writing poetry until college, then? Right, I'd never written a poem before. It didn't even occur to me to do that. Wow. All right. Well, what about you? You, you write poems like growing up? Yeah, I've written kind of from when I was little. Uh, yeah, but I know that's that's uh, that's remarkable. I mean, I think I think Hopkins also there's an enormous um, advantage that you have there because unlike most other schools, they teach craft. Yeah. I mean, they just it's. I think that's changing slightly. Like, I think I see a little bit more interest in and acceptance of things like meter and rhyme more broadly now like it doesn't seem so like toxically uncool as it was 10 right. years ago maybe uh but certainly and certainly when i was in college uh but yeah i mean H hopkins is like you you learn you like you have to crack your knuckles and get to work and make feet and lines and rhyme. you know like you have to learn what true rhyme is and you know mm -hmm. what so no, i mean greg greg was uh was tremendous for that for me uh, and then you did an MFA in Michigan, or Wisconsin. Let's see. That's yeah. the thing. That's my that's my uh, my my southern uh, perspective coming out. Everything yeah. above the Mason Dixon is all kind of blends together. You got an MFA in a snowy state. That's mm. all I know. Yeah, very cold. Yeah, yeah. Are you and where, where are you from originally? I'm from Southern California. Okay, all right. So yeah. uh, not not the South, but better weather than the South, and and similar intolerance for cold. So where are you from? Atlanta, Georgia. Ooh, I've heard good things about Atlanta. I've heard it's an awesome place. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. And it was like, when I was in high school, it was like the hip hop capital of the world, which was kind of cool. Uh, so yeah, no, it, it's, an, it's, a, it's an interesting city. I have not seen the show, though I've heard it's very good. I've heard it's really good too. My brother really likes it. So I'm trying to think of like, I'm trying to figure out when you were in high school. So like when you, when you were like the, it was like the whole hip hop thing, was that outcast or was outcast. that like more outcast? That was, I mean, that was oh. outcast was like the, the really, really big thing. So yeah, dear to, dear to my heart. Uh, so. yeah. And I, and uh, I know um, Andre made a whole point about saying that fame and success had 
and sort of spoiled art for him. But then he's got he's got a, a like big meaty new verse on Kanye's thing, and, and so like I'm, I'm always sort of, I don't know that they're going to come back together as a duo, but like I'm I'm, I'm always sort of hoping that there'll be some some revival of some kind because uh, so too. So I asked you to come talk about this sort of wild documentary that I'd heard about for a while and had not seen. It's called Louder Than a Bomb. It came out in 2010. It's the the title comes from a public enemy song, but then the title is is the the name of this annual high school poetry slam in Chicago, where there are 60 schools, I think, compete, is what they said. Like it's a it's insane that it's so big. It's a it's a huge deal every year in Chicago. And this documentary follows sort of four team slash kids one of them is sort of more of a group thing the stein steinmetz kids uh than than just one in particular and you kind of follow them through preparation for the for the uh competition and then into their the, the various poems poems they perform during the competition uh it's a it's a fascinating documentary in many respects and, they, and there's some like really serious hardship that some of these kids have gone through and it is Real, you know, we kind of had earlier exchange about this. Like it's it's really heartwarming in some ways, and then I have super mixed feelings about the poetry. But I'm curious, like for you coming into this, what was your prior exposure to spoken word or slam? Or that you know, they kind of the terms get a little mushy there. Or do you do you have you don't, there's you don't have any like crisp sense of a d- difference between spoken word and slam? Do you? I don't. Do you? I, I always thought they were sort of interchangeable. I think so. I maybe I feel like they may be, it may be like Beanie and Toboggan. Like there may be certain people who say, like it may say more about who you are that you choose yeah. one over the other. But yeah, it's some kind of you know spoken word, live per- performance based poetry. So yeah, what was your what was your experience with that previously? So when we first started talking about this documentary, I was so um, intrigued just because I had such like I had such strong preconceived notions about slam. And they weren't very good. <laughs> like, I, thought it was terrible. I always thought of slam sort of as like going on like a dating app or something where you just have to wade through so much like garbage to find something decent. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you've seen, um, have you seen the movie 22 Jump Street with Channing Tatum, Jonah no, Hill? No, like the, the, they, yeah, this is the sequel to their, their reboot. Okay. No, I didn't see the, the There's sequel. Scene where like Jonah Hill is like randomly summoned onto a stage to do slam poetry and he does it to impress this girl and he's like yelling and like waving his hands around and like everybody's laughing at him and like I think that's how people think of slam right just like a lot of people so I'm really glad we watched this because I kind of ate my words a little bit I thought a lot of it was like you said I was sort of ambivalent about some of the poetry but I think it really came from the heart. I think a lot of it was yes. really raw. Um, it didn't feel as like self-indulgent or like melodramatic as I had thought it would. Um, right. yeah, I, I thought yeah. it was a really interesting movie. Really interesting. Yeah. And there, I mean, it is what's what's like without question is, you know, these kids, some of whom have like suffered a great deal or had like a lot of horrible trauma with their parents or their neighborhoods are you know they're doing something positive and deliberate and they're working hard at it and they're developing confidence and they're kind of collaborating and there's a big community i mean part of what i found moving about it was that they especially lamar i think if i'm remembering he he i think even more than the others uh was able to quote 
poems from previous years from other students from other schools yeah but he like he it, you know they they sort of registered for him and and meant a, a lot so a lot of it felt like it had to do just with the community that they all felt really warm and close to each other and were kind of rooting rooting for each other as they went along it's so there was coincidentally a couple months ago in poetry magazine there was a feature uh, there was a little introduction written by Peter Kahn. So each of these schools, they have a, a team or a coach or some kind of group that does slam poetry, does spoken word. And you see the coaches or the teachers kind of grooming the kids. Grooming now has a different word to meaning. We, we can't use this word anymore. But kind of pre preparing the kids and encouraging them and, and disciplining them. And uh, so um, Peter Kahn is one of these coaches in the movie. And he he writes this intro to this little feature in Poetry Magazine, which is a basically there's an anthology of poems from it's a celebrating 20 years of poetry from a Chicago land high school. And the, the program that they built up is really impressive. A lot of really impressive people come and speak at it. And then they include a lot of poems from these students in poetry magazine. The, the passage in the intro that to me was sort of most telling or, or like revealed the most about kind of what was at the heart of all this. Let me find it real quick. Yeah. All right. So eight of our alumni have gone on to earn MFAs in creative writing and several have become educators. One was national youth poet laureate, two were national student poets. Several have been gold medalists, gold key recipients, and national award winners in the scholastic art and writing awards. One won an NBA championship and credits our spoken word club for making him a better teammate. Several have been previously published, blah, 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 blah. So it's a lot of those are poetic accomplishments, but a lot of them are not. And, and it felt like the main thing these poetry programs are doing is not necessarily developing really fine poets, but like helping the kids become confident and poised and willing to, willing to, you know, risk embarrassment and these kind of things. What did you think of the poetry? Because like, you can't shit on kids like doing activities and growing together. And, you know, especially if they're coming from hard circumstances, like can't shit on that, can't shit on kids anyway. I feel better because they all, you know, it's like 10 odd years have passed. So they're all, none of them are kids anymore. And, and like, generally speaking, it's all to the good, all like, you know, on the right side of the column, right? Uh, but what about the poetry specifically what did you make of the poems because there's a lot of poetry in the movie i mean a lot of the movie is footage of them performing poems yeah i think kind of like i was saying earlier about how i think slam gets kind of a bad rap i also think that more um more formal poets also get kind of a bad rap and i always thought of like slam in one category you know we have the spoken word we have these urban high school kids and then in the other camp we have like Robert Frost right doing his rhyming thing you know the dead white man so when I heard in particular Nate Marshall yeah was, you know, he's doing some really cool stuff with rhyme and with sound yep. and with rhythm that sort of makes me you know it kind of drives the point home that these two camps aren't necessarily super super different like I thought he was fantastic yeah I thought that girl Nova was good Adam Adam was a character for sure don't you think he was a he was a character with a capital C, yeah. I mean, he down to the, like the backward Kangol hat or whatever, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was, 
and everybody he was sort of like the the mascot like i think he won he won a, like the it was it was effectively like a citizenship award it was like the spirit of the of the slam award or something uh so yeah i mean like they again like i want to be real careful because mm-hmm. i wish nothing but good for all of them it did make um i think I, I, my impression i think was similar to yours in that I thought Nate Marshall was incredibly impressive. Mm-hmm. I also thought he sort of was head and shoulders above the rest. I think so too. Like, yeah. it, like seeing that made me think about, like, I just why it was like people to say, you know, when you raise twins or something, like seeing that, I just thought, like, oh shit, talent really is a real thing. Yeah. And and part of it is like he he says, I don't know if he was being serious, but he says he's been writing since he was three. Whether that's accurate or not, he's been doing it for a long time in a concerted, thoughtful, focused way. And like maybe at a certain point, really, really dense early experience becomes the same thing as talent. But whatever it is, like there's a, I mean, he did, like they didn't even say this in the documentary, but if you look at the credits, his little two-man hip-hop group did like half the soundtrack. Really? Yeah. Like there's some pretty strong (laughs) rap songs in there that are hit. There's just him you know, like they don't even bother to say, oh, also this is Nate. I mean, they mentioned that he has a little group, but no, I mean, he's, he is far and away, I thought the the strongest and, and they kind of, they, they, you know, use the documentary to showcase him. I read, I first heard of him a few years ago when I read his first book. Uh, I think it was his, was Wild Hundreds. That was his first book, I think, mm-hmm. which I quite liked. I mean, I, I enjoyed it and I've seen poems and you know, odd poems here and there from him since then. My wife, this is like, it's sad that she didn't watch this because she, she, if in order for us to watch something, we have to watch it in like 10 minute increments because she has to go to the bathroom or has to go to bed. But this is exactly her kind of movie in that it's a documentary. It's about children and it's about competition. Like that's like all three of those things at once are her dream documentary. We've watched like ballet documentaries about this. There's like the Spelling Bee documentary. And all. The thing I, I've been wondering about with this movie is if you if you go to like a national children's chess championship they're not going to be playing at an adult professional chess level right mm. you know and if you same if you go to like a high school you know ballet whatever or i mean the kids like the kids i used to teach or uh um or sports even you know like a like a top level high school basketball team or soccer team they're not playing at a, an adult professional level, but like they would smoke us. Like they would be way better than your average grown up who was not, you know, a serious competitive chess player or ballet dancer or, you know, basketball star. Setting Nate aside for a minute. Was the poetry good? Like, was it good? Like, I guess I don't know. I can't tell. It was like, What's clear is they were confident, they were poised, like it's hard to do that. It's hard to get up on stage and like have the balls to deliver these lines really forcefully and confidently. And I mean, especially like I thought like the the best story in the movie was the story of the Steinmonots. Like they had the most, you know, they they had with the previous years, they were the total underdogs who happened to win it all. And then they came back and they kind of had all these behavioral problems. And then like half the team almost got kicked off and they came back and they kind of it was like the the self-sacrificing gesture where like Lamar has to sit out a thing in order for them to do their better poem. And then they, they come within one point and they get disqualified or they get, you know, they get knocked out. So like there was a real, 
Friday Night Lights kind of story there. But I like going back and rewatching some of these, I, I can't make up my mind whether what they're doing is good or if it's just ballsy. Right. Like, I mean, and reading the poems in Poetry Magazine also, I mean, like one is used to reading a lot of bad poems in Poetry Magazine, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, so which is to say like, maybe there's, they're not special. Like they're, they're, certainly their badness is not special. Certainly there are plenty of grown up, you know, self-styled poets who are no better than they are, but I don't know. I think Adam drove me, Gottlieb drove me a little bit crazy, partly because he reminded me so much of kids I went to school with, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, what do you make of it? What's your what's your sense? You know, after I watched the movie, I Googled them so I could just like see their poems like actually on the yeah. page instead of like hearing them delivered. And I kind of went back and forth too about like whether they were particularly special. I think that girl Nova, um, Nova, I think it was Nova Venerable, right? She Venable, yeah. she just told such a compelling story and she did it in such an honest kind of stripped down way that I liked. Um, yeah. I think I, I hate saying stuff like, oh, you know, she has potential because that feels so like condescending. But I <laughs> that is kind of how I felt. I was like, you know what? Like if these kids stuck with it, um, they could be really good. Yeah. But other than Nate, I don't think any of it was like particularly fantastic. This then made me wonder about poetry more broadly. Like, is this... What does not seem to be the case to me is that this is a spoken word thing. Like, I don't think this, I don't think like the on the page poetry that other high school kids write is likely to be any better than any of this, you know? Uh, is this just a poetry thing? Like, is it, can you, if you're not Rambeau or Edna St. Vincent Millay, is it just impossible to be good at poetry at that age? Like, what what is the, or is it just the teach? I mean, what gives? That's a really good question. I think the problem with a lot of the slam slash spoken word poetry is that people go up there and it, a lot of it kind of devolves into a rant. Mm. Um, I think it's because it's not written on, it's not written down in a, like we wouldn't be reading it necessarily like in a print journal or in a, in a no. magazine. So people go up there and because so much of like a slam is about the performance. I've seen some videos of people who just kind of go up there and it seems like they're just like angry yelling. And at that point, like the whole craft element has kind of gone out the window. And I think that's where editing comes in. It's almost like some people just like write out everything and then don't edit, which I think is what made Nate so special. Like it was, even though he was saying it out loud, obviously it felt as if he had, pared it down into like like the necessary stuff you know it wasn't just a bunch of filler and I think that's a really good point though about like I think if you're just a high school student writing like you have so many feelings and all that at that age you might just be kind of ranting on the page right like I don't mean to like totally dismiss high school kids no right that they couldn't have talent but I think that could be one of the problems and I think that's why like like, I know that's why I write in form, because if I didn't have a structure, if I didn't have rules, I would also be rambling and ranting. I, I have a similar feeling. Like, I, I have tried to write free verse in the last 10 years, and I, I find it incredibly 
difficult to get anywhere with it. Uh, so it does, I mean, that, that is, it, does, it is really helpful to, to have form for, I mean, for views. I also find form to be really generative. Like yeah. it's, it, it is, you know, it's not just that it's a restriction that creates a shape, but also that that restriction can help you come up with what the fuck you're writing. Like it, mm -hmm. it helps bring in ideas that might not be, you know, come in yeah. otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I, something I did note about Nate's last poem in particular, which is the one that closes out the, uh, the movie. It's very, very well done and well shot and well, you know, set up in the movie. I'll, I've included links to it in other episodes, but I'll include another one here in talking about it earlier. He is the only one in the movie who identifies, he doesn't say it in this, these terms, but he identifies the use of tone as a rhetorical tool mm -hmm. that he like, he starts out the poem and he does this a little bit in some others, but he starts out the poem with one in a, like a very cocky mode. And then he, he has a Volta, like he has, he has a turn where he pulls against it. And it's the tension between those two that makes it poignant. And that it does seem like, as you're saying, so many of these are just rants, which like you can't, begrudge them that because they have a lot to rant about yeah but right. it doesn't necessarily make for good art it does seem like it's it's sort of it's performing like a therapeutic role almost yeah yeah, yeah i totally agree with that like it's great it's great to you know have catharsis and everything but at the same time if you a lot of it, like I told my mom, I wasn't going to come on this podcast and hate on Amanda <laughs> Gorman. She was like, do not start on your Amanda Gorman thing, but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> Amanda Gorman is, you know, I'm about to do the same thing I criticize her for, which is being a very young person who's like very set in her ways. And it's like, I'm better and I'm great and blah, blah, blah. But I do think she could be considered, and people are going to come from my throat for saying this, an example of like bad slam. <laughs> like when I watched the inauguration I was like mm, I don't know about this at that point it kind of just feels like the craft isn't really there it's just kind of relying and I know that a lot of you know inaugural poems are not going to be that good um because you know you're it's for the whole country <laughs> you're not going to go up there and be super honest and transparent about I mean, inaugural poems are almost always bad exactly. I mean, as a rule yeah 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 it's the whole point um but yeah, I just think there's this, and I kind of got this sense from Adam. We were talking about Adam Gottlieb a second ago. I kind of feel like sometimes, and I'm saying this to people often, if you are, if you have an ego, a yeah. lot of the time that comes out in your poetry. And that's kind of how I felt about Adam. And that's obviously how I feel about Amanda Gorman. <laughs> <laughs> but like when I was watching Adam's piece, I was like, he might be a very nice kid, but this whole thing just feels very like theatrical and like over the top in a way that the other ones didn't. It's almost like uh, when like community theaters do their like plays like calendar girls or the full money where it involves like nudity. And if you're, if you're like a 50 year old in a community theater getting naked on stage, like that takes some real balls or, or whatever right. equivalent of that, like that, that takes guts, but, the, but it's not like, doesn't make it good art. And it mm -hmm. felt that way with, with Adam, like he's, He's work. He's learned how to like work himself up into a frenzy that gets a reaction from the crowd, and he, you know, and he's got a better knack for language than than the average bear. But right. it does feel like it is. I mean, part you know, partly that's like the kinship with hip hop. Like a good deal of it is your sense of 
confidence and you know what you, the self certainty that you project right is part of the game. That's part of doing it well. Uh, yeah, with Amanda Gorman, I mean, I think she's a, a politician. Like, I think she yeah. will probably be a very successful politician. Right. Uh, maybe the biggest difference between Amanda Gorman's poem and the other inaugural poems is that nobody thought the other ones were good. Right. 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 Whereas a lot of people thought this one was good. And I think it's because there was a performance and the performance was like, again, it, it's impressive. There is an impressive effect to this kind of performance and presentation. And I'll say like the erratosphere folks, the formal poets I know that he had, she had a nice rhyme on the word inherit that a number mm -hmm. of people noticed. Like that was like, Hey, all right, got, that's something that's sign You noticed that when you, you know, when there's a rhyme that you haven't quite heard before or used in a nice way, but yeah, it's on the page. It's nothing to, Right. Yeah. Really right home about why, why about that? Like, like should, you know, is that necessarily a bad thing that something is meant to be performed as opposed to meant to be read? Like, cause I feel like maybe that's just like kind of an antiquated perspective from me to be like, Oh, well, if I read this on the page, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be good. I mean, what do you think of that? I no, I think, I think having things that are just prefer for performances, is fine. I mean, I think like that's true for most comedy, right? That it, mm -hmm. you you need it, you need the timing, you need the delivery. The same, precisely the same words in the same order will be very not funny if they're delivered by the wrong person yeah. or in the wrong way. Uh, so no, I mean, I think I think that's totally fine. I think there is like Peter Kahn and his little poetry magazine intro said, "We always emphasize page before stage." I read that and I thought, like, really? Did did, did you? Because it seems like. Which is fun. like, why, why, why emphasize page before stage? Like it's a stage performance and that's what they're, you're teaching them confidence and poise and, and, you know, an ability to stand behind their words and deliver them. It's not going to be good on the page. Exactly. I mean, at the same time, I kind of credit spoken word a little bit with, and, and like, and I think just the, like the gradual transformation of like rap into the sort of the pop music mode for the country. I mean, even to where like straight pop outfits now have elements of hip hop in them. Like Billie Eilish is sort of like halfway doing rap when she's performing. So it's become so much the main mode of popular music that I, I credit that a little bit with some of the slow fading of the stigma against meter and rhyme in yeah. poetry. Yeah. I think, as long as they're sort of in the shadow of spoken word, it's becoming less of a, it's becoming less uncool. I, I will say also what has blown my mind is that there are literary agents who list in their wish lists of things they're looking for, list verse novel. Really? Like that's a form they're looking for. Now, I feel certain they're not looking for like the Venetian Vespers, right? right. I mean, like, I think that that means sort of like a spoken word transcript or like, mm. I mean, a hat or, or like um, Sarah Rule wrote uh, Eurydice as a verse play, but it's a free verse play, which is sort of like a play. Like it's like mm. a, free, a free verse novel or a free verse play stops. I see like, well, what, what's the verse part? Like, cause it's, you're not even, yeah. So I, I don't, I left this movie feeling first, just like excited that Nate Marshall existed. 
Yes. And I was reminded of that. And it then made me want to like check out more of his more, his, his more recent work. But then I also felt sort of like a Grinch. It was like, yeah. it's so gl- I'm so glad for these kids. What a great program. It's so good that this is happening. And they're such like decent people and so warm and sweet. And they hug each other at the end. But also like, fuck, what is the deal with poetry? Like, what is, why is it so, like I, I, uh, a friend of mine um, was talking about, who's a Christian was talking about how like she finds Christians really annoying and it like, it annoys her as a Christian that Christians publicly are so annoying and sort of embarrassing. And that's like, that's the thing with poetry. It's like, oh, oh, why are poets so embarrassing? Why is it? last week the poets were embarrassing and then i found out that elizabeth bishop actually said this first so she yeah. beat both of us to it but it, there is something very embarrassing about it even the good poem even when i write a good poem i'm like i can't believe i just did that it's mortifying yeah it is very and if and if, it, if you're not a good poet it's probably you know even more mortifying yeah i remember uh in when i was in grad school going to the first time i went to the the wayweiser prize reception um the you know where they 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 over the over the the years i was there they they pulled back on the amount of alcohol they would allow us to have because we we cleaned them out the first time but i remember like standing there and like listening to erica dawson like read lines about her shaved pussy like with her parents standing next to her and it just just like i guess i guess this is what we've signed up for somehow like all right in so many other comp, like even like spelling bee kids can spell better than your average adult. And I just, I feel like, I don't know. Like, I, I think of like, I did a lot of theater in high school and the, you know, like high school theater is very bad the way that oh. high school poetry is very bad. And the, the thing that people are impressed by, if they're impressed by anything is one of two things. So one is like, I can't believe you're willing to stand up there like that. And two, like, I can't believe you memorized all those lines. So that like, that's, it's like, you, you, you seem to have a pretty good memory and you seem to have no shame and you're completely willing to just utterly humiliate yourself on stage. So maybe that's the, is that what it, like, is that what you learn? Is that, is that the mark of somebody who's learning to write poetry? Like the, by the time you're whatever age, like you, you've reached that point, And then maybe after that, you learn how to write things that don't suck. I've been wondering the same thing because I'm trying to teach my students poetry. And as I mentioned, teaching in general is not that easy. But um, I feel like there's just a misunderstanding about what poetry is. And I feel like maybe I don't understand it either. Like I said earlier, we have like these people who are like, no, like, Poetry has to be Shelley and Yeats and blah, blah, blah. And then on the other hand, we have these people saying, no, just like get all your feelings out. Like, how are you feeling? Just write yeah, yeah, your hormones, yeah. whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. So how can we make both of these things like good? You know, that's what I'm trying to figure out. How can you like be raw and vulnerable and authentic and true to yourself, but also have some skill? Yeah. And like, how do you learn that? And how do you teach that? Yeah. So maybe you do have to bring in a certain kind of shamelessness. Yeah. So that like, then when you learn the skills, you are, you are still willing to take foolish risks with those skills. 
So maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe that is a necessary, it's clearly not a sufficient condition, but maybe it's a necessary one. Maybe it's like what Frost said about like tennis without a net, you know, how you said that about free verse. Yeah. 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 But so do you, but what's the other half of that? Like, like you have the net, you have the the court, you know, you have everything's the chalk is drawn. You have somebody to call the in and out, whatever you have, whatever that person's called. But then you need, you also need like gumption or gusto or like, like what's the other part of it, That's right? That's a really good point. I don't know. I don't know. Because I mean, people talk about passion, but I just feel like passion is such a misused yes. and, and, and like often abused term. Mm-hmm. Do you know the um the seafarer? Yeah. Yeah. So like great, great, great old English poem. And it's one of those weird hybrid poems where like you can see the traces of like the pre-Christian culture getting kind of tangled up in some later like Christian transcribers who are like, oh, let's remember to make this one about God too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but like this guy describes going out on the sea. And it's just brutal. And it's like hail and they're like sharks and it's icy cold and you're soaked to the bone and you're incredibly alone and you kind of hallucinate. It's sort of, it's, it's just terrible torment, just nonstop physical torment. But then he also describes being on land and like hearing the ocean and just needing to go back. Mm. To me, like that's like passion so seldom is is like a raving hysterical expression of like loss of control. It, it seems more like passion is like an abusive relationship. Passion is like, like he, he hit me and it felt like a kiss, right? Like that, like it's that relationship with your work basically. So maybe, maybe that's what you instill in high school. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious. Cause you said there are people who say poetry is just, you know, uh, uh, feelings and, get it all out and do whatever, man. And then there are other people who say it's only uh, Frost and Shelley and Yates. I'm curious, who are the people saying it's only Frost and Shelley and Yates? Well, when I ask my students, no matter what I'm teaching or where I'm teaching, I ask my students if they like poetry and they all, most of them always say, no, I don't understand it. And I think right. there's this, like misconception that poetry has to be this really convoluted thing where people read it and they're like, oh, I don't know what that means. Or like, you know, I remember shout out to Richie for asking me what the red wheelbarrow meant. And I had to explain it to the class. And like, I didn't know, you know, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Um, I don't know what was going through William Carlos Williams's head. No but ideas, I, but in things. What? No ideas, but in things. That's what, no yeah. ideas, but in things. If anyone ever calls you in class and asks you to explain to William Carlos Williams poem, just say that. It'll be, it'll I'm be writing cool. it down right now. No ideas. <laughs> <laughs> no ideas, but in things. Richie, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> But yeah, like that's the problem. We have people saying, oh, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I think the problem is that it's like, that's what they're being taught. So they think like Mm -hmm. they have no poetry to look at and be like, this I can relate to or this I can do. So because that of that, like they go completely in the other direction and just are like, oh, I'm just going to like write whatever I want. I think if schools were teaching people like Erica Dawson or like Jericho Brown or people who are like, still alive who like write you know really raw um honest stuff but like in form or you know obviously having learned some kind of craft maybe that could change the game a little bit you mean yeah i I would i would hope uh yeah i mean i I certainly would hope yeah i do i i wonder about the like the the 
feel like there's this sort of boogeyman figure of the buttoned up school marm who wraps you on the knuckles and tells you that that poetry is about rules and you need to uh you, need, you only read the uh, I mean, the thing is about, about reading like Shelley is like Shelley was a wild man. Like Shelley was not like Shelley was out of control. I mean, it's like, totally. like only read whatever canonical uh, figures. I, I I wonder, I feel like everybody has the specter of that school marm, but I don't know where she is anymore. Like, I think it's really hard to identify where I feel like everyone has the sense that somebody is going to say that. But I like I feel like very few people are actually saying that anymore. I think you might be right. I think the whole, I think the whole poetry scene is confused. I read online not that long ago that poetry is more popular than ever. Have you heard this? Yeah. Among whom and who are people reading? Well, and part of it is like, that's part of that is like Ruby Kaur, right? Yeah. And the Insta Insta poetry. So, which again, like the, any popular art form, there's going to be a lot of crap. That's fine. But I've had like debates with people about whether poetry is in good health or, or poor health but right. yeah do you i mean what is your you have your so you have your, your students are feel alienated from poetry but then if and when they do dip their toes in it's just as a kind of a therapeutic free-for-all exactly yeah. there's there has to be some middle ground right oh i mean yeah you you you, you hope that's uh yeah. you know there's a little bit of that spontaneous uh, overflow of powerful feeling recollected and tranquility you need a little tranquility too and you yes. need some and then you need uh some some skill you need to sit down with greg williamson at some point but oh, so yeah. what is your sense of the looking coming from the other end of the country what is your sense of the 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 state of poetry the health of poetry give me the state of the union what's the deal what's going on with poetry hmm that's a good question it's a really good question I think you're onto something about hip hop and music. Um, but like, I'll ask my students, like, you know, do you consider music poetry? And a lot of them are just like, no, they're two completely different things. Yeah. I just think there's so much confusion. And I also think, you know, I don't want to throw any like magazines under the bus. I'm sure you probably know, Please. you know, you can probably think of some examples of like poems, like published poems that I read. And I just think like, this isn't good. Oh no! Yeah, I mean, there's so kind of like they're, what is happening? No, they're mostly bad. No, I mean, I think it's almost the rule is that they're going to be bad when you read published poems. I mean, it's and so. Why, why do you think that is? Because I think there's no, there's not even the ghost of a consensus as to what quality is. In right, 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 right. That's true. And like the 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 danger of a consensus is that it can be restrictive and that it can ignore good things that don't quite follow all of the all of the rules. But with no consensus at all, yeah. what you end up is just most people's experience being poetry is a thing you read that sucks to read. Exactly. Um, or poetry readings. I mean, have you been to you've been doing Zoom poetry readings? Do mm-hmm. you do you go to or have you been to poetry readings much? I mean, we're just all living in our couches yeah, yeah. still, but yeah. So what's your experience with poetry readings? Is it is it different in California? Is it more hippy-dippy out there? Um, kind of, yeah. Um, it is and it isn't. A lot of it is really, really bad. Yeah. Um, but most people I've noticed who go to these poetry readings out here, they're not poets. So like huh. they don't. Yeah, so that's unusual. Really interesting. It's like a lot of people who are like baristas 
who happen to be there will like listen or a bartender who wait, like wait, wait. are they baristas and bartenders who work there is that why they're there <laughs> no they just like wandered in from like next door all right yeah it's really interesting like i'll get texts from friends who like have no poetry experience whatsoever like hey we're going to this reading you should come and hear like this other person who also isn't a poet but who will be reading poetry so it's all it's very weird it's like people just kind of doing it for do they do they enjoy the poetry yeah so it's not just like because I can understand if you have a bunch of people going to things in cool places, then it can just be fun to go regardless of what's going on. But they, in addition to meeting up with other people there, it's the, the work, the, like the performance is a fun performance to hear. Yeah, I think it's probably very easy to fool people into thinking you're a good poet. I mean, I feel how? like- what's the, but how? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Or what does that sound like at one of these readings? good question like I I think I don't know but I think it's very easy I've seen some poems that are just garbage and other people are like wow that was deep or like I felt that or something is that is that the emperor's new clothes yeah pretty much okay well but then all right so so but then I would say like I'm then skeptical about whether they're actually enjoying it oh like are they enjoying it like I know they will say nice things about it but but if, I mean, but is what is remarkable is if there are people who are not poets going to these things, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that would be the sign of like a healthy subculture. Is it, are they going to readings by people who they don't know personally and who are not like hot or is that part of it too? It's like, like people just like being attractive and, and impressive, you know, and dressing well. Is that, I mean, I like, people wanting to say that they like poetry or that they went to a poetry reading so they just go I'm not even sure if maybe they do enjoy it like but I'm not sure if they enjoy the work as much as they enjoy being there and being able to say they were there does that yeah. make sense probably yeah, like that the Oscars feels... or something like right. are you fun or are you having fun that you're at the Oscars type of right thing? no I think so I think that's I yeah. mean that that's my feeling about a lot of the poetry readings I've been to like the more fun ones tended to be because it was in a fun place and there were fun people there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm curious though, because what you're saying is that what you're suggesting is like, it's not just that there's a scene to be enjoyed, but Mm -hmm. that there is some cachet to be got by saying you like poetry. And so my question then is like, with whom, like whom does that impress? I don't know. I saw this movie not that long ago that got really good reviews. And I remember saying to someone, this movie sucks. This is a movie people are pretending to like to impress other people who are also pretending to like it. And I think <laughs> yeah. this movie just sucked. It was um that one that just came out on Netflix. It was about like a daughter. Might have been called The Daughter. But it was terrible. Oh, oh, yeah. The Lost Daughter. The Lost oh, daughter. man. I fucking hated that movie. My wife loved it. No, it, it the movie drove me crazy. It was so boring. I hated it. Great, and great ending- cast. Amazing cast. But mm-hmm. just so dreary. So relentlessly dreary. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way people watched that and thought it was good. I mean, not most people. I see now I want to get my wife on to pick her because well I'll say the other the other half of that was though like we we watched that back to back with uh with uh, don't look up and Uh, hated don't look up and I felt like it wasn't my favorite movie but I thought I liked it fine 
So, I, but people seem to really hate that one too. Right. Like people are really mad about Don't Look Up, which is a little bit confusing to me. Yeah. The Lost Daughter, I, I think the deal with that, it's like Lydia Coleman's so good and Ed Harris and Jesse Buckley, like, and Dakota Johnson is actually pretty good in that. But the just the story is so, so deadly dull and dreary and unpleasant. And there's yeah. no humor. There's not a lick of humor in that movie. Um, oh, and Peter Sarsgaard is so good. I think part of that's Maggie Gyllenhaal, who's a great actress, but who has oh, no sense of humor. Right she directed it and it was like heavily adapted. Oh, okay. Because it was based, I think, on an Elena Ferrante thing. Somebody oh. told me that. Maybe maybe that's wrong. But I, but she, yeah, she was like heavily adapted. And then she is just a like, wonderful actress who just personally doesn't have a sense of humor, I think, unfortunately. And so that yeah. that doesn't help. But I think part of what people were really excited about was that it showed a mother not being a good mother and having that be understandable. And and like, great, but then you still need to have a good story. That's how I feel about this. Like these poetry readings, like people are watching (laughs) bad poems and they're like, oh, I understand that. I relate to that. But like, that doesn't make it a good poem. I mean, I, I would even say like, just that if, even if somebody's saying I relate to that, that's like, that's a victory. Cause often it's not even that often it's just like, well, I know this is an important cause. Am I like, am I like a real stick in the mud, get off my lawn old guy that like, I just find a lot of contemporary art to be really just like morally bossy and like really not fun. No, it's some of it is so preachy. A lot that, of it's, it's like, I don't even disagree. I just don't. Like, yeah, I hate reading poems that tell me what to do. And I feel like I've read a lot of those lately, like look into the sky and breathe and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like this. What's the what, what's into the sky and breathe? That's just like an example of like oh. somebody <laughs> <laughs> being like, do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you mean like imperatives? Yeah. Yeah. There's one oh. that comes to mind right now. It's like, oh, look at the grass and be grateful and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh. I don't trust a random poet to tell me to do something. No. Like, oh, oh God. Oh, you're you right. Oh, that I feel like that's such a like pandemic trope too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like look at your day now read this poem backwards and you'll discover right. that you, yeah, no, that's, that's right. Like why on earth would you take advice from a poet? Any poet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like even, even like the really good poets that I have some personal knowledge of, like usually they're not like people I would say like, I really want to know your thoughts on how I should like have a marriage. Exactly. Or, like, I yeah. like, no, yeah. it's the last thing I want. Yeah. yeah, that is, that is, I have, I have not thought about that, but that's, you're right. That is such a, an active trend right now. I hate the command poems. And I also like a similar family of poem. It's just like fa- poems that are too on the nose. Poems on the that, nose like, and, like, and how, like how specifically though? Like when I was in Richie's workshop, this one girl wrote a poem from the perspective of a woman whose marriage was failing. And the poem ends with the wedding ring slipping off her finger. And Richie's like, come on, like this is so on the nose. And I'd never even heard that expression before, but I read so many poems where it's like, you're telling me what to feel. Like you're not trusting the reader at all to like put these pieces together. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Give yeah. the reader some space and some freedom. Yeah, there's another um, expression that I remember learning. I think it's, it's like a screenwriting expression. But they will they will talk about hanging a lantern on something. Oh yeah. And I do feel like a lot of contemporary poetry, it's either on the nose or it hangs a lantern or it, like they want to make sure 
the thing they're most afraid of is that you will come away from the poem with the thinking that the poet believes the wrong thing. Right. Right. I want to make sure you know where I stand on X question, which is Mm -hmm. again, like, like the motherhood thing, like great, but then you have to, the poem has to be good. Exactly. Movie has to be fun to watch. Yeah. All right. So there is a, there's like a, there's a scene in, in Oakland is, I, I never, I never quite understand. It's like people talk about the Bay area in California and then there's Oakland and there's San Francisco and all of those exist in like, like quantum superposition with one another. Like what is exactly. the, they're all kind of sort of the same place, but then separated by something. Yeah, or? Oakland is like um, half hour outside of San Francisco. Okay. And it's just kind of like San Francisco. If it wasn't as cool. And was like a little bit more rundown. Do you feel at all connected to like a poetry world outside of that? You're like your local Oakland scene. Is there? You're not a you're not an, an eratosphere person, or like a? Are you a an online person? No, but I kind of want to be. I've heard good things. Are you? Are I you I technically am. I I have stalked there a lot, lurked there a lot. So I don't really want to do more poetry workshops. But I am glad that there is a place for people to bicker about poetry, like talk shop. And, yeah. and, and it does, the impression I get is that there is a, there's like, um, partly because I think the, 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 the crowd is probably a little bit older. And I'm sure some Eratosphere will tell me I'm wrong about this. But the, the impression I get is that there's not a lot of, it's not very easy to get cachet or cred by being cool in any way on there. Like, I think it's, I think it's totally not cool. And right. so there does just seem to be a lot more earnestness in the posts that I read. So, yeah. and I know like people, there are people, cause there are, there are like people all around the world on there and, and there are people who found a, find it really to be a comforting community, but you're, so are, do you have any kind of, a, um, uh, like, do you have readers? Do you have like, a, a group or a circle or a, a person really. you you're just a lone wolf you mean like in the poetry life yeah in like, the poetry life yeah. yeah yeah kind of I have poet friends who live in other parts of the country but and we exchange and swap stuff but it's gotten to the point where I don't particularly want feedback anymore and I don't want to mm-hmm. give it either um I think I just from all those workshops like yeah I'm just kind of burnt out on that whole thing right now when did you, cause you're super young. When did you finish your MFA? 2019. Oh, okay. So this is quite, quite fresh still. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right. How big was your, how big was your MFA class? I'm curious. Six. Six. Okay. So yeah, that was the same as, as mine uh, at Hopkins. Do you, what are your, your two years out or your two and a half years out? Mm-hmm. How many of those people do you expect to still be writing poems five years from now? one other than me okay yeah is that have have some of have, have some already fallen off yeah a lot of them have already just stopped i'm super cynical about mfas in general but like what is the good of it other is it just time is that all it is i kind of think it's just the time and i mean i don't know i think i remember during my mfa thinking like you know a lot of this just like the actual workshop experience just was not that great. I think no. when you get a, you get like six egos in a room and I'm not saying that everyone who pursues 
an MFA is a certain type of way. But like someone referring to my poems as word vomit, it's like not helpful. <laughs> I'm like, how is this helpful? And the poem got published. So, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't know. And I've always wondered what other MFA experiences were like for other people. Because for me, I just like by maybe the third month in, you know, because there were only six people, you knew what everyone was going to say already. Yeah. You knew what people would like. You knew which guy was going to say, oh, I like the second half of the poem, but not the first half. I think this is really two poems. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. Two poems. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I think I had a pretty similar experience. I mean, I, I met some really lovely people, including my wife through it. Though I would say, generally speaking, like, don't sleep with your classmates. Really don't. Really, if you can help it, don't. Because, boy, it doesn't make things easier. Uh, I, lo lovely people all. But, yeah, I, I, I kind of hate workshops. Yeah, I do, too. Is there a way to make workshops good? I heard about this one workshop. I don't know where it is. I don't know who created it. But I heard that it's like, instead of an evaluative thing, you just go and everyone reads your poem and then they tell you, they describe it. Have you heard of this? Where they just like tell you like what the oh, poem man. is like in objective terms. And they're like, okay, this is what your poem is about. And this is what, these are the you know techniques you're using and all this stuff. I don't remember where I heard about this, but someone told me about it and said that she wrote the best poem she'd ever written in her life while she was there because no one was trying to impart wisdom or express any opinions. It was just like, this is what I'm getting from the piece, basically. Yeah. Have you heard of this thing? I have not, but it makes, I mean, you, you, you would need to kind of have a shared technical vocabulary to, to begin with in order to do that, but it makes, it makes some sense. I mean, I do think that the increasingly the best feedback is not is not like advice, and it's not uh, like here's what I think is really going on here. It's more like this part I found really interesting, and this right. part confused me, and then this part was boring. Exactly. Your poems are really tend to be. I mean, at least the ones I've read tend to be pretty like playful and combative and they are very informal in tone and they kind of they have uh sort of like no holds barred on what can what you can pick up and throw around even though you do tend to write in pretty familiar received form i mean do you think about your poems as being like when you give readings how i i have such a hard time following poems at readings even like good readings yeah do you think about that when you're how do you how do you approach a reading when you give a reading and you like want people you know how bored you can get and you know how bad most readings are how do you approach so that you can try to make it not suck for the listener I try to read relatively short poems at readings I have a crown of sonnets that I only read once and I don't think I'd ever do it again just because like forcing people to you know stay on the ride for 15 minutes of one poem uh, this is kind of a segue or like an, an aside, but I was at this one reading in Wisconsin. This guy read a poem. It was one poem for the entire half hour, just one poem. And then at the end, he goes, God, that was amazing. Can you believe I did that? He goes, he goes can you believe I just did that? Can I get another round of applause? And you're we all just kind of like, hmm, yeah. Was that, was it an Andy Kaufman thing? Like, was he, was he? I have no idea. I mean, that's sort I've never of. i never met this dude before. He's like, he's kind of well-known, 
So it was just kind of weird that he did that. Um, but it didn't seem to be tongue in cheek. No, he didn't seem to be making fun of himself. It seemed totally <laughs> genuine. Um, but I always kind of, I think what keeps people focused on readings, honestly, is just like talking between the poems, yeah. little jokes here and there. Patter. Um, it's the patter. Like that's yeah. so, and that's, I, you hear that so consistently. Mm-hmm. And like, po- I mean, that's one way in which poets have an advantage over fiction writers that they have more spaces to fill with patter. Yep. And those are, those tend to be the spaces where you can kind of get a sense of your personality across and kind of win the audience over. Mm-hmm. But I mean, maybe that's you can like feel what the audience is like. Cause if you're saying something and they're, you know, looking at you stone faced, you can kind of on the fly, maybe like choose to read a different poem or yeah. you can kind of like adapt it based. You can read the room as they say with fiction. Once you start, you're kind of <laughs> you're locked in. Yeah. He's got to, he's got to ride it off the cliff and into the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah can't escape. Yeah. No, I mean, I have a terrible time following stories at, at, yeah. uh, at readings as well. I mean, really I'm just a terrible, I'm terrible like listening to, people i think part of it is like I, I can listen to lectures and i can have conversations but once somebody is reading a fixed text mm-hmm. get lost yeah is that a are we coming back to like now this is why we need we need the adam gottliebs of the world i don't i don't want to need the adam gottliebs of the world either <laughs> it seems to be i mean you seem generally to be like a very a sweet guy who's still very into the i, lo- I looked him up to see you know i don't think i think i think of those poets i think nate marshall is sort of the only one who's emerged as a as a consistently publishing significant poet but there's so many things wrong with poetry but yeah it would boy it would help if we found a way to make the readings less bad right right i wonder if like maybe have you ever been to a reading where um instead of one person going up and reading for 15 minutes and then the next person reads for 15 minutes people do it like circle style so like one oh. guy will read one, then somebody will read another, then we go back to the other guy. Dude, I've heard that that's fun. Yeah, that I could I could see that because then they if they feel a little bit more in conversation with right. one another. You would need to do that would need to be like a relatively small group, probably sitting in a circle. Like that would need oh, to be almost like a like almost like a workshop setting without the workshopping. Right. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Because otherwise you just have people going up and back on stage again and again. There's be a lot of right. be a lot of movement. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think also that it helps to read poems by other poets. Yeah. Like that's something I learned at Hopkins and that I've I found like often good readings. And it is that is a more traditional thing. Like typically at poetry readings, it was not understood that you were just going up only to read your own work, that you'd you've spent a lot of time reading poetry, you know, some good ones, you know, bring some, bring some good ones. Definitely. What are, what is the reading in April going to be? Do you know, like how much are we supposed to, what is that going to, I mean, assume it's just going to be one of these one off, one up, one down, but then how long is it going to go? I don't know. It's just us two, right? I think so. Let's assume to be at a half hour each. Jesus, that's a lot. That's what I thought, but I really don't. No, I think that sounds right. Don't you remember like, the Hopkins readings being that length. Yeah, that seems probably. Yeah, because then, and, it, and if it was like a bigger person, they would come and do an hour. But God, that's just a lot. I mean, a lot. it's a lot of poetry to have people sit still and listen to, and actually. And like, if I mean, if you and I have a hard time focusing. Oh yeah. 
then fucking what? I mean, part of what I can't, I can't knock spoken word too much because, because the people there do seem to be having a good time. Mm-hmm. And like, again, like the thing with Amanda Gorman, because I, I think I really, I think I'm really with you. And like, you, you put that thing on the page and it just lies there like a dead animal, but, but like people listened to that or watched that and they enjoyed something. And like, yeah. they were not just enjoying the fact that they were thinking they were enjoying poetry because they could have done that with, uh, what was Elizabeth Alexander? Was that her name? And then what's his name? Blanco. Uh, and those suck too, but they were, but like nobody, nobody mistook himself for having a good time during those. Right. right. So like, yeah. There's something about it. That's like, okay, this is people got excited about Adam Gottlieb's bonkers performances, but yeah. you know, I, we got to come up with something. We got it. We got to. I, I don't, I want to, um, because I didn't give readings for like years and I'm sort of started doing them a little bit more recently. And I really don't want to give bad readings. Right. You know? Yeah. People will be perfectly polite about it and it's perfectly understandable and it's totally expected. And like, you'll go to their readings, but like, I just don't want to do bad readings. Right. And I feel like as the reader, I can never really tell if, if I'm giving a bad reading. And no one will tell you. No one will tell you. Yeah. No. I mean, the way, the only way you, the only sign is like with any public speaking, like the only clear sign of anything is is laughter but that's but that tends to be for the patter and that's what makes zoom reading so awful everybody's oh, muted fuck. yeah they have their cameras off they're all just making dinner they're all just nope. yeah mm-hmm. putting their uh, kids to bed like playing playing poker yeah yeah we strayed a little bit from louder than a bomb but i also think it's like it's it's heartwarming and cynical making and and like i don't know is the moral of the story just that nate marshall is talented i think so and like good for these schools and good for the kids but and like come on peter khan don't publish an anthology of this shit yeah uh, nobody come on because i was thinking i was wondering while i was watching this movie like if i was watching louder than a bomb in high school would i still feel this kind of cynical about it and i kind of think i would yeah, I would have been, I would be, yeah. I would be meaner about it in high school. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, you won the Donald Justice Prize, um, which my wife won years ago, which also my uh, best friend Ryan won uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so this means you're going to Westchester? Yeah. When is that? <laughs> no one's mentioned it. I was going to ask you. I assumed you would know. What is that? I don't uh, know. It's in the, the early summer, late, late spring, early summer, like end of May, maybe. Oh, okay. Uh, I think I need to, because the last time I checked, they didn't have the uh, application up for it. But um, well, I always wanted to go. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, I believe, at least it used to be that that's part of the deal for the justices is you, they set you up there. Um, I will be curious if it's changed because I know there was a big, there was the big uh, scandal and controversy and everything over that. Um, I don't know if you followed any of it. Kim Bridgeford ran it for years and years and years. And, and then at some point they kicked her out in a sort of a shitty way. And she started a rival poetry conference called poetry by the sea. Oh. And then a bunch of people dropped Westchester and then they hired this really terrible guy to run it. Who, who (laughs) do who uh um i don't know if you know quincy lair at all yeah he judged the the he judged, 
Oh, who's he your judge? <laughs> oh shit. Okay. So you'll meet him. Uh, have you met, have you met him before or do you? Okay. All right. Yeah. But yeah. He's a character for sure. He is super. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if he will be a little bit reformed cause he's got a kid now, but he was like truly a character from Alice in, you know, in Wonderland. Like he, he yeah. was, I've never met a man that drunk still on his feet. And so like, we were like the clothes and the, yeah, he was a, a remarkable figure but yeah he got like bumped by the new guy they brought in one year like and so there was a whole there was a whole to do over that i'm glad he they he, they brought him back in eventually but like boy like if i had to if i had to like pick somebody in the poetry world that i wouldn't want to just like bear a grudge against me forever it would be like hell hath no fury like like a quincy lair scorn like jesus that's not you don't want you don't want to get in the middle of that yeah. i'll be curious i'll be curious what westchester is is like uh for you um the i did want to say unless they have changed the housing accommodations uh and you've never been before so just for purely practical reasons bring a lamp and bring a blanket oh Are because we sleeping it, in the dark the, well, no, you, you, you will have a bed, but at least, at least our room, we had, we had like bare, dry, crunchy prison sheets, oh, and no yeah. blankets. And like, it was frigid and you couldn't control the temperature and there was no light fixture. Wow. Like there were, there were outlets, but no light fixture. Uh, so it was, it was pretty Spartan. And then they, the, at 6am, the the night the last night of the conference they used the opportunity to run a fire drill in the dorms <laughs> because what? they needed they needed to see what it would be like with people there but they didn't want to do it to their own students so they just did it to all the visiting poets that is great so, yeah come come prepared for uh it's a yeah there's definitely some some um some heavy drinking it's very nerdy like it's very gratifyingly nerdy like you will there's i i've been like in artsy context where like nobody actually wanted to talk about art and people were really there for the, you know, for the, the food or the scenery. Nobody's there for the food. Nobody's there for the scenery. Scenery's yeah. not great. Food's not great, but the company is good. And it's just super, super nerdy. Like people will any, but you can sort of like pull anybody you walk by to just like talk with you, talk shop with you. And that's awesome. It's very, yeah. I think, I think you will, you will enjoy it and you should get a pretty decent little uh, uh, opportunity to read, I think, depending on how they do it. But yeah, usually uh, that'll be that'll that'll be fun. Um, blanket and a and a lamp. Okay. Um, and cool. be ready for a fire drill. Okay. Uh, would you Would you send us out by reading a poem? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just uh, yeah, whatever, whatever. You, and uh, uh, now that now that we put the pressure on by talking about how bad poetry readings are. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me find one. You don't have your you don't have your author's copy in front of you? Oh, I, you know what? Oh my god, I do. I do actually. <laughs> I still can't even believe I have author copies. Okay, I read. Can read a short one that will make it easier to be a good reading. Yeah. Um, okay, let's do. Okay, this one is called Golden Years. I'm gonna read it. Okay, Golden Years. When Christine asks me to describe my history of depression, I tell her about the Christmas video. I'm four, maybe five, twirling a pigtail while my brother opens his toy race car. You looked so sad, my mother said years later. I didn't realize. Christine hands me a box of tissues and I joke that I can't believe I'm crying. 
At night, I wander in dark lit rooms while Bowie croons through headphones. I dream of handcuffs, of running pointy fingers through a young man's curls, a serrated knife scraping a slope of a smile onto his flesh. Even the sun is a philanderer, bringing home roses to every woman on earth, its rays shading its face like a cap. Thank you. I, 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 I know. I, I remember reading that one online and thinking of, um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I, I quite like it. And it, it reminds me, the very end of it reminds me of, do you know the Browning poem, Andre and Del Sarto? No, I'm gonna look it up right now. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. That's, it's, it's a long one, it's a monologue, but in it, the painter who's who's speaking refers to his wife as the moon. And he says, um, my face, my moon, my everybody's moon, whom everybody looks on and calls his. Oh, I love that. Uh, that she's yeah. like, she's, because she's sort of, she, the suggestion in the poem is that she is sort of running around on him, but it's it, that image of the celestial body as the as the uh, the unfaithful spouse, I, I quite liked. Oh, that's amazing. I'm looking yeah, it up. He's, Thank and he's, you. He, 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 that's one of my very favorite poems. Uh, it's the it's that's the one that's where we get the f- expression "less is more" comes from that poem. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, that's really a, good to know, actually. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Thank you so much for for doing this odd little little podcast. We find, I'm glad we finally got so it to work. Fun. I've yeah. never done a podcast before, so this was the best one I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will not examine that compliment too closely. <laughs> that was my conversation with Alexis Sears. I will put a link to all of her stuff on the show notes. Again, she is the author of Out of Order from University of Chicago Press slash Autumn House Press, Care of Autumn House Press, or vice versa. Anyway, Out of Order, good collection. Uh, she will be at AWP. She will be at Westchester. So maybe some of you will be lucky enough to meet her there. Thank you as always for listening. And with any luck, I will be speaking to you again very soon. Until then. <laughs> <laughs>